You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 12 through 15. And then we're going to also look at two verses in chapter 19. I'm going to continue a message, part two, of a message that I've entitled, Who's Shaping Who? Who's Shaping Who? Last week, I asked you if you were willing to see the hand of God shaping the nations. And then more specifically, were you willing to see the hand of God shaping the United States of America? I shared that I don't believe, I don't have any doubt in my mind that God has shed his grace on America. The Constitution of the United States is based mainly upon Judeo-Christian values. God has blessed America, and he has used her to bring tyrants to justice and to pioneer in the work of global missions. At the same time, and I have to ask myself this, are we willing to see the hand of God shaping the United States of America in some of our most horrific events in history? Almost 420,000 Americans gave their lives in World War II. Are we willing to see that God may have permitted their sacrifice to judge the sins of Hitler's Germany? Are you willing to see that God may have permitted 620,000 of the children of America to give their lives on the battlefields of the Civil War to deal decisively with our sin of slavery in our own country. Those are a lot harder to grasp because we definitely want to recognize God shaping the nation in our blessings, but are we willing to see that God could even discipline or judge our nation based on our sins or even use our nation as an instrument of justice in the world? In the book of Jeremiah, the nation of Judah had abandoned God for false idols. And this idolatry led them to all kinds of personal and national sins. And God called a young man, Jeremiah, to prophesy or speak to the nation that God will destroy them if they did not repent. A good king, a king named Josiah, came to the throne and heard the cries of the prophet and began to repair God's temple. Amid the repairs, the high priest of Israel rediscovered the book of the law. And I shared this with you last week. Could you imagine that a nation would go so far from God that one day somebody stumbled into a church and happened to find a Bible and view it for the first time. That's what happened in the nation of Judah, that they actually went to the place where God was worshipped, and as they were remodeling, they go, what's this book here? 
And it was the book of their own religion that they were finally seeing for the first time with fresh eyes. King Josiah read that book and he began to purge Judah of its idolatry. And the question was, would it be enough to avert the disaster that God called Jeremiah to reveal to the nation? So God, if you remember this, God took Jeremiah down to the potter's house and showed him the potter molding the clay and then teaches the principle on which God deals or relates to nations. God may decide to destroy an evil nation, but if that evil nation repents, he will have compassion on them. God may plan to bless a nation, but if they do evil, he will destroy them. This is how God works with any nation, not just the covenant nation of Israel, but also non-covenant nations like Assyria and Nineveh in the Bible. God reshapes nations by their response to his word. But that still leaves us with one more question that I want us to explore this week and probably next week too. What's Jeremiah's role? Can the prophet say or do anything to shape the people he loves? And for us today, the church, the called out people of God, those who God have called to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, does the church here in America have a role in shaping America? I want us to look at the scriptures to see what Jeremiah's prophetic role was that may be the role that we must embrace if we want to see America reshaped in a way in which God can bless. Let's just read what was on the people's hearts that God revealed to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 12. This is God telling Jeremiah, here's what's on the hearts of the people in this nation. He says this, verse 12, But they, the people of the nation, will say, It's hopeless. We will continue to follow our plans... Each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Notice what the people did. They acknowledged that they possessed evil, idolatrous hearts toward God and yet deliberately decided to defy him anyway. And the question, how could they be so stubborn? How could they actually know we have evil hearts? We have plans that God is not pleased with and our plan is to continue with our plan no matter what you say, church. How is that possible? I want to share just two other Bible verses with you. They come in the previous chapter in Jeremiah 17, verses 1 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 1 and verse 9 It says this, The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron stylus. With a diamond point it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. Notice how far they had gone. 
that God had essentially said, their hearts have become hardened like stone against me and they have put their plans to sin. They've etched it in stone. They have no willingness to hear the message and change their lives. How can we get to such a place? Look at what it says in verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Who can know it? See, here's the thing that you have to get deep in your soul. No matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, human nature, all of us, admire following our hearts, believing in ourselves, and being independent, even if that independence is from God, and unaided by the Word of God and the preaching of God, our hearts are pathological liars. Our hearts lie to us. They are naturally hardened against God. And they lie to us and tell us the truth that is not really the truth. And we'll hear it say in our culture, well, that's just my truth. No, that's your heart lying to yourself. Our hearts are broken compasses and we need a better God. And God in His infinite grace and mercy has given us His Word so that when we have our thoughts and feelings, we can compare our thoughts and feelings to the truth of God's Word. And only when our hearts are in alignment with God's Word or our hearts speaking the truth. But if our hearts tell us one thing and the Word of God says another, our hearts are lying to us. So I'm okay with you having a positive outlook on life. I'm okay with you living passionately and courageously. But I have to warn you, don't do whatever you think, feel, or believe. You have to put it up against the Word of God. We must consistently go to the Word to find out who we are and what the Scriptures will tell us, both good and bad, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and unless we stop dead in our tracks and turn from our sin, acknowledging that we're sinners and we deserve God's judgment, but God in His mercy gave us His Son, the one we've been singing about all morning, to die on the cross for our sins, to absorb that penalty and punishment, and then raise Him to give Him not just new life, but to give you new life, a new beginning. That's the only chance and hope that we have found in the Scripture, that it's Christ and Christ alone. Repentance and faith in Him. So stop and let Him change your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow King Jesus. And so we're going to see, I'm going to hint at it now, and we're going to get to a little bit later next week. One of the functions of the church amidst a nation that is in evil is that we have to be committed to the faithful proclamation of the Word. We have to, and let me tell you this, it's not because we have the truth. Our hearts is just deceitful like the unbeliever. We have the truth because of Christ and the Word. We have to stay tethered and bound to this book. That's why these pulpits in America and in our own homes, fathers and mothers, we must continue to disciple people in the Word of God. Now here's the devastating thing. How far 
can deceitful, sinful hearts go? And what you'll find is that they know no bounds. Our hearts know no bounds. It can get really ugly. That's how much we lie to ourselves. Look at what it says here in verse 13. The Lord's going to reveal something about His people. Now, if you don't know anything about the, the, the background of the Bible, the God of Israel, Yahweh, saved the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, brought them out with the ten plagues, parted the Red Sea, miraculously provided for them in the wilderness, helped them come into the new promised land, Canaan, and devour their enemies and established a kingdom. God had been good to this people. And listen to what God says about them in verse 13. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. And he tells Jeremiah, ask among the nations who has heard things like these. Notice what he says. He says, go ask nations who don't know me, who don't know me, and ask them if it sounds logical what Judah is about to do. Notice what he says. He says, virgin Israel has done a most horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon, this is a mountain, ever leave the Holland Crags? And the answer to that, if you knew anything about Mount Lebanon, is it's always snow-capped. There's never a time it's not because of its altitude. So he says, look at this mountain over here. Have you ever seen it without snow? And Jeremiah goes, no. And then look at the next one. Or does, the, or does cold water flowing from a distance ever fell? And he's in reference to another spring in Lebanon where there was a fresh spring. It was a well that never ran dry. He says, have you ever been to this place and not been able to get water? And Jeremiah goes, no, it's, it's always, there's always water there. And then look at what he says. Yet my people have forgotten me. Now catch that. You see what he's done. He says, go ask heathen nations... How crazy this is. Think about a snow-capped mountain that doesn't have snow. Think about a, a place of a fresh spring that doesn't have water. It's just absurd. They're, they're illogical. They're inconsistent. He says, and yet my people have done what? Forgotten me. And he's literally saying this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, my people have become a freak of nature. It's nothing like anything else I've seen in the world. I've been so good to them. I have done nothing but bless them. And yet, what have they done? They have turned their backs on me. They have forgotten me that I'm their God. And notice what the rest of the verse goes on to say. They burn incense to worthless idols, empty idols, and make them stumble in their ways on the ancient roads and make them walk on new paths, not the highway. What he's trying to say, he says, their idolatry, their worship of other gods while they've forgotten me, it's led them down paths they never wanted to go. And yet there they are. Can I show you the most disastrous path I think this idolatry or forgetting God had put them on? And this is the one that makes my heart break. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. What, hap what can happen? What can happen? When we follow our sinful, deceitful hearts and forget God, get ready. Get ready to how far we can go. It says this, Because they have abandoned me and made this a foreign place, they have burned incense in it to other gods that they, their fathers, and the kings of Judah have never known. They have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. 
They have built high places to Baal on which to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Something, God says, I never commanded or mentioned. I never entertained the fault. How, how far can we go with our sinful, deceitful hearts? It not only causes us to forget God and His ways, but then forgetting God can, help, can cause us to sacrifice what is most precious and dear to us. They would offer up their own children as burnt offerings to false, empty, imaginary gods. We in postmodern America, all of the same accusations against Judah can be sustained against us. We have forgotten God. We have forsaken God. We too have followed other gods, and our gods aren't names like Molech and Baal, but they're the gods of sex and pleasure, beauty and money, power and success, comfort and self-indulgence. It's my way or the highway. I want to live for me, me, me. What we find is this. Human nature is fixed. We've just gotten smart and we label our idols different. They're just more socially acceptable idols. We don't call them Molech or Bell. But we're all out looking for something else other than God that will satisfy. And our hearts have lied to us. And don't think running from God or forgetting God won't cost you something precious. We postmodern Americans are guilty of the same barbaric sins of ancient Judah. We too have shed the innocent blood of children. Of children. I would hope we would live in a nation where we would lay down our own lives, not give our children's lives away. There are two burning issues this very moment in America. The first is the right to life. I want you to think about this. God judged Judah for the shedding of innocent blood. From 1973 through 2011, nearly 53 million legal abortions have occurred in the U.S. 53 million. There's only been 1.2 or 1.3 million casualties in war in our history. And yet 53 legal abortions have happened on most of our watch. Now think about this. That is more innocent blood per capita than was necessary for God to bring judgment on his own people, Judah. So if you're asking yourself, have we already passed the line? We've done passed it a long time ago. I can say what I can say today, not because this is politically motivated, because I see it for what it is. This is a spiritual issue. It has nothing to do with your vote. It has nothing to do with any of that. This is a sin problem. This is a heart problem. Until hearts are changed, and let me tell you this, it's not that we can fix the heart. Only Jesus, by the word, through the Spirit, can change human hearts. And the church has been entrusted with that message. 
So I want to teach you a couple of things about why, from the Word of God, we can't stand. We can't allow this to happen while it's on our watch. Abortion right advocates are increasingly conceding that the unborn child is indeed a human being. Science proves that. The question has become if that human being is a full person. What constitutes full personhood? Some in the secular world suggest that anyone is a person as measured according to certain socially agreed upon standards. So honestly, and you'll hear this in the talking points, no matter who it's from, the left or right, if that child's going to grow up poor, disabled, or have a physical defect, that person is not a person. That's the standards that the world has accepted. But notice what that means. That means the final court of appeal is still just the collective human heart. What did I just tell you about the human heart? A human heart is a pathological liar. We can't trust ourselves to tell ourselves the truth. So what does God's Word say? General, that means creation. And scriptural revelation provides the ultimate answer to the search for value and personhood. God is the creator of life and every human being, whether he's a millisecond old or 150 years old, has been made in the image of God. The poor are made in the image of God. The disabled are made in the image of God. Those who have physical defects are made in the image of God. All of them have a capacity to see, know, and be loved by God. God says, they're mine, not yours. Why do abortions occur? Church, you need to, what I'm about to say you're not going to like. Okay? So, toughen up. This is just anecdotal evidence, but I find it compelling and worth your consideration. The state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that happens in its borders. In 2018, last year, there were 70,000 83 abortions in Florida. There's a table that gives you an idea about why the abortions occurred. 75% of them elected to give no reason. Okay, that's their right. But listen to the remainder. 20% of the abortions performed were, abort were women who aborted for social or economic reasons. Okay? 1.67%, so one and a little over a half percent, the women's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. 1.48%, the woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy, so one and a half percent threatened her life. 1%, there was a serious fetal abnormality. 0.27%, so a quarter of a percent, the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. And then 0.14%, the woman was raped. And at 
0.01% the pregnancy resulted from an incestuous relationship. In general, and this has kind of been the, what they found, I use that as an example, as an anecdotal example, but in general, 98% of abortions are performed for some kind of social reason. That means less than one abortion in a thousand is performed because of risk of life to the mother. Now, that's, that's, I did not tell you that to stir up anger. I hope it stirs up, well, there's actually something we can do about that as the church. I want you moving in that direction. Who has abortions? In 2015, this is all, I'm trying to use statistics from the CDC, both, where both groups agree on things. Unmarried women accounted for 86% of all abortions, all unwed. Women in their 20s accounted for the majority of the abortions in 2015. So here's what I want you to see. Do you see this? An unwed young woman, okay, probably with, due to some poverty issues, are the ones that are the most susceptible to this issue of abortion. This is not a public policy issue. It really is a spiritual problem. And I want you to write this down because here's what we as a church have got to do before we can really begin to pray and preach to the culture, and I think in an influential way, is the church must practice the alternative. Write that down. The church, that's you and I sitting in here, must practice the alternative. It would be good and right if the Supreme Court today overturned Roe v. Wade. But if Roe v. Wade was overturned, given the statistics that I just gave you, the church has a huge problem. Are you ready? Here's why. The church has a special stigma for sins linked towards sexuality. We have strong reactions to them. You can ask if you happen to be that unwed mother in their 20s that's walked in the church. Most churches, and maybe even ours, you get that, that bad look. There'd be a stigma, a scarlet letter put on you. Church, and this starts with us here locally, are you prepared not to judge young women's actions leading to pregnancy, which may have been sinful? We acknowledge that but prepare not to judge and instead choose to celebrate children as a gift from God no matter the circumstances. That's the, that's the spiritual decision the church has to make. Saying, look, what's done is done. There's no judgment here. We love life, period. Second, are we prepared to care for and contribute financially to the possible hundreds of young women in our own community for whom abortion is no longer a legal option? Are we prepared to counsel with an unplanned pregnancy, finding accommodation for mothers both before and after their child's birth, help them secure employment and give financial help? 
When Roe v. Wade is overturned, are we completely ready to reevaluate our church budget to minister to them at the point of their need? Mind you, this won't be for a season or two or a year or two. This may be a lifetime of loving, supportive involvement. Maybe the reason this has carried on as long as it's been is because we've been so easy, it's so easy to talk about it because if that problem was actually solved, there would be a huge mess on the church's hands. It would be. But we're called to practice the alternative, going, bring all the mess in. We'll help you figure it out. And we'll put our money where our mouth is. the most burning issue in America, and it is the most dangerous and damning. You have the right to life, and then the question of the gift of eternal life. The unforgivable sin of unbelief. Abortion, if you've had an abortion, it can be forgiven. Not believing Jesus as your Savior merits eternal damnation separated from a perfect holy God. Here's why we have to get on the same page. Listen to what Jesus said, and I read these to you last week, but I need you to get it so that we can kind of weigh our priorities, and hopefully it'll help cleanse us of any judgmental attitudes or stigmas. Matthew 10, 14 through 15 says this, if anyone, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He's saying this, Sodom and Gomorrah will receive more tolerance with their sin than the sin of unbelief in Jesus when it comes to judgment day. Matthew 12, 41 says this, the men of Nineveh, these were violent men that Jonah was sent to say repent to. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching, which was poor, by the way. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. He says, Jesus, the Son of God, He's come and revealed Himself to you. His love, His mercy, His grace and forgiveness, they've been offered to you and you've rejected the Son of God. He says, those violent men of Nineveh will stand up on judgment day and say, we weren't that crazy and we had that poor preacher. And here's how I know it's a problem. Because it's not just a problem in America, it's a problem in the church. Remember, I think it's the, the church is the only arena in which the word of God should be lifted up and be able to change our lives. We'll come out of the church. It'll come out of here. But listen to this. In 2011, Barna Research released uh, release this report, and it stated that one out of every four born-again Christians said that all people are eventually saved or accepted by God. That would be one out of every four people sitting in this room would say, you know what, at the end of it all, it doesn't really matter if you believe in Jesus or not. Let it be said from this pulpit, you are wrong. Your heart has lied to you because that's not what this book says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. First Timothy chapter 2 says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And so let's don't point fingers at America when one out of every four people sitting in the church don't even agree with Jesus' words. That the only hope for salvation and eternal life and a relationship with God and forgiveness is repentance and faith in Christ alone. Church, I hope you see in this passage today while God reshapes nations based on their response to his word, notice this, it's the prophet, or in our case, the church, that's entrusted with the word. Do you see this? What's our role to play in who's shaping who? We get to be the ones to go out and practice the alternative. To live it out saying, look, this is what God is calling you to. And in the meantime, until you get it, we're going to do it. We're not going to forget God. We're not going to shed innocent blood. But we're going to not just try to prevent it with a vote. We're going to try to prevent it where people really are. How can we help you? How can we love you? How can we shed God's grace on you? We have to start doing that. No more judgment. Recalibrating our time, money, and energy and resources to say, whatever it's going to take, we're willing to put it all on the table to stop it. And then the one that's the most important, church, church, are we going to continue to be apathetic and indifferent as friends and family, co-workers, people in our community, day by day, have another opportunity missed from repenting of their sins and trusting Jesus as their Savior and they're on their way to an eternity separated from God. When are we going to take it serious going, we have the truth not because we figured it out, but because God saved us and revealed it to us. We must go and share this truth with others. Their lives and eternity depend on it. And we're the one entrusted with it. We have the word. So let's practice the word. The church is responsible to present the alternative. That's our responsibility. Are we presenting it? Are we presenting it with our lives? Are we presenting it with our mouths? And if we're not, let me tell you this, we are taking the only hope for America away. I'm going to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.